Well, good morning to everybody uh, on this cold and frigid uh, Minnesota morning. A couple of days ago, I was in 84-degree weather, and now I'm here. Why does anyone live here? I don't know. We are in the uh, study in the book of Luke, and uh, we're up to Luke 18. Seth did a fantastic job uh, talking about the first eight verses of 18 last week. Uh-huh. Uh, and I want to go over those same eight verses, not to correct anything he said at all. He nailed it. Uh, but to give it a little different angle on it. Uh, he spoke uh, about uh, the need for us to pray for justice and to trust that in the end God will give it. And I, what I want to do is take the same eight verses and apply it in a little bit more general way to an issue that I think is, is extremely important. And it has to do with prayer. So let's read the passages, Luke 18. And I'm going to entitle this, Keep on Pushing. Keep on Pushing. And Trevor did this nice job finding this wonderful illustration of what I will be uh, talking about. Keep on pushing. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Okay, so that's the point of the parable. It takes all the guesswork out of it. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Not the most altruistic motives in the world, but he finally gave her what she was asking. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Pray with me here for a moment. Abba, Father, Dad, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive your word to confront misconceptions maybe we've had about you or what you call us to do, things that maybe have tripped us up, open our minds to maybe hear things from a perspective we haven't had before. Whatever is true, Lord God, just, just give it an energy and an authority. Whatever is not, just let it fly off of us. But Lord, anoint this word to build your kingdom in the uh, lives of those in this auditorium and the lives of those who are listening through podcasts or any other means. Open us up to receive your kingdom. Be the dome. Let our lives be the dome over which you reign in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. I want to start by talking about the need for honesty when we're dealing with God, dealing with each other, and dealing with his word. Um, it's been my experience that in a lot of Christian circles, it's not okay to be really raw and honest. There's always a sort of piety that you have to evidence in your life and in your speech and, and all that. And, and sometimes in some situations, Christians get rather uncomfortable, like Job's friends, when raw stuff starts coming out of our mouth. But I think it's, while we always want to be saying what we say in as much love as possible, it's so vital that we're honest. We really put a premium on that around here. But how things look is not important. How things really are is what's important. And you can't care about both at the same time. Uh, this last week, my small group and I were um, 
together doing this spiritual exercise. Uh, we're actually doing uh, some of the exercises that the whole church will be doing a little bit later on uh, as we go through this series that's going to be coming up right after Easter. Uh, and it has to do with the use of the imagination, prayer and worship and Bible devotion and things of that sort. Uh, Terry Churchill was part of a team that put that stuff together. And so she was kind of leading us on this. We're, we're sort of her guinea pigs as she's trying out these spiritual exercises. And I'll tell you, just as an advertisement for this series that's coming up, it's powerful, powerful stuff. I can't wait for us to go through this series that they're calling Animate. It has to do with our, our imagination and spirituality. But we're going through these exercises and, and, and uh, reading some scripture. And, and then, as St. Ignatius says, uh, uh, using all five senses of our imagination as we imagine uh, the, the passage and asking the Holy Spirit to uh, raise up whatever he wants to raise up to confront us and things like that. And most of us had a real kind of positive encounter with Jesus and it was moving and emotional and things of that sort. But several people in our group, and one in particular, didn't have that experience at all. There's something in this verse, and I won't go into details, but something in the verse triggered something rather deep in this person. And uh, she rather exploded, erupted with a lot of anger, anger towards God. Uh, just some stuff that got activated here. And we have been together for some time in this group, and so we're okay with this, and we let it just sort of go, and, and then processed it afterwards. And in the course of processing this, I think we shared quite a bit of wisdom. Through the, through the Holy Spirit present with us, a lot of wisdom came out. And one of the things that we really hit on was this. In any authentic relationship, there's going to be bumps. There's going to be times where you aggravate one another, you tick one another off. There's going to be anger. Any relationship that's totally devoid of anger uh, is either, either you have a marriage, if it's a marriage, a marriage you know, made in heaven, uh, and you're the one of three people on the planet for whom that's true, uh, or you're not being real. And most of the time, it's just because you're not being real. I don't think a relationship, whether it's with a spouse or children or friends or God, can really go deep if you're not confronting at times things that aggravate you. In the process of working through aggravation, we go deeper with one another. I really feel sorry for small groups who, as soon as things get a little bit rocky and, and there's some anger expressed, they break up because they're just on the precipice of, of having that group start to get good. you got to work through the tough stuff to really develop an authentic, deep relationship. And for many of us, at least, I think for most of us, maybe for all of us, that's true of our relationship with God. Uh, they're, they're, it's so important that we are real with God. That first of all means that you're getting real with yourself because sometimes when it comes with God, we pretend even to ourselves because we're afraid that he's holding a thunderbolt where if we say anything that's really you know, less than fully pious, he might zap us. But what I want us to know is that God can handle our anger. Uh, he's, he's not a defensive God. He's not a, a, a petty God. He wants you, all of you. He wants you surrendered to him. And that includes surrendering to him even the yucky stuff, the ugly stuff, the angry stuff, which means being real about that. And even if the reason why you're angry is based on a misconception, as it usually is, it doesn't matter. What matters is that's where you're, that's where you're at right now. And God wants to deal with that. And the Bible, it's one of the most amazing things about the, the Bible is that it's full of people uh, who expressed at times rather angry prayers. Read the book. Job, Job, most of what Job says 
uh, in, in the book of Job is, uh, is, is not correct theology, but it comes from his heart. He says some nasty, nasty stuff. He accuses God of some, doing some rather diabolical things. But far from being defensive, God takes those statements and puts them in the Bible. Not because they're true, but because they're authentic. In fact, when he shows up at the end of the book of Job, he chastises Job for his arrogance, but he also commends Job for speaking honestly in chapter 42. He uses the Hebrew word kun, which means straight. You talk straight. I like that, Job. Your friends, I'm really mad at because they didn't. But you spoke straight. Be honest with God. We've got to give each other permission to be honest and raw. And that means sometimes it won't look pretty, it won't sound pretty, it won't always look that, that pious, but it's actually authentic. And uh, you don't get into a deep relationship that's meaningful and significant and profound unless you're willing to be honest with that stuff. I say all that to say this. This passage that we read this morning honestly has been one of the most aggravating passages to me uh, in, in my life. It, it uh, makes me mad. Uh, it aggravates me, just being honest here. I, I, there's parts of this passage I don't get. Now, I'm working on it, and I'm going to share some of this in a little bit, but I first want to be real here and tell you that parts of this passage tick me off. I don't get parts of it. For example, Jesus is here contrasting the just God, his Father, with the unjust judge. And yet the point of the passage is that we need to be persistent when we're praying. So here's what I don't get. I can understand why the widow has to be persistent asking the unjust judge uh, to do justice because the unjust judge doesn't want to do it. But why do we need to be persistent in praying for things if we're serving a just God who wants to do it? And in fact, then Jesus says, and he'll do it quickly. Well, if he's going to do it quickly, then how can he draw the point that we're supposed to be persistent in praying? Have a good day. <laughs> I, I, I think you just got to be real with that. And even more aggravating, if I'm really honest here, is not only does he, it, not only is the passage puzzling, God will answer quickly, but you got to pray with persistence, eh? but it's been my experience at least, and I'm betting pretty much everybody that's listening to this sermon, that uh, God doesn't always answer quickly. Yes, I prayed for the horn section, but I've been doing it for 16 years. <laughs> we finally got one this morning. Now maybe, the, well, God doesn't define quick the way we do. Okay, fine, but... Uh, but, and, and even worse than that, many times the prayer, the answer to prayer doesn't come at all. Even when you're praying about something that's clearly an issue of justice. Here's something that's unjust. This world is just oppressed by demonic spirits that corrupt nature and things don't operate the, word, the way they're supposed to operate. Jesus always assumed that it was unjust, that people have infirmities and things like that. But we've got people in this congregation who continually are suffering injustice, oppression, uh, sickness in their bodies and their minds and other things. And they pray with persistence. There's no answer to their prayers. A friend of mine has got muscular dystrophy, gradually losing the use of all of his body limbs. His body is just decaying uh, in fast-forward motion. And uh, he prays and his family prays and his community prays for justice and for healing. To date, at least, after praying for years of that, there's been no evidence uh, of any healing person I know as a son just died recently, nine years old. The kid spent all nine years of his life mainly in a hospital, has a genetic disorder and uh, caused enormous complications and pain and suffering in this child's life. And finally, uh, a couple months ago, he died. 
that family prayed and with their community prayed with persistence, knocked on the door over and over and over and over again, uh, and, and the child was never healed. A colleague of mine, helping a friend out on a house, falls off the house, slips, breaks his back, loses the use of his legs. He prays, his family prays, the community prays with persistence uh, for healing to be done, for justice to be done, and yet, to date at least, there is no healing. Now, we, 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 we try to gloss over these things with some cliches uh, and because we, we don't want to sound impious. And maybe I'm even offending some people being this raw up here uh, right now. I, I, I encourage you to hang with me on this. I'm just being real. But sometimes people say things like, well, it must not be God's will. Uh, you know, and and uh, we'll, we'll say God's timing is the right timing. And, and when it's his time, well, then he'll come through and he'll bring a healing. And there's some biblical justification for that explanation. There's some. Uh, in, in John 11, you know, they asked Jesus to come and heal Lazarus who was dying. And Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to come right now. You go, but I'm not going to come. I'll go a little later on. He's waiting. Then Lazarus dies, and then he goes, and then he heals Lazarus and raises him from the dead. And so here, here was an instance where uh, Jesus had a timetable and for his own reasons delayed the healing. Yes, got that. But how much are you going to wring out of that one passage? In every other instance that Jesus confronts injustice in the sick and the infirmed, the deformed and whatnot, he instantly brings justice. He brings healing. He manifests the Father's will by bringing wholeness into their life. And so while timing and, and God's will can be a variable that decides things, I don't think it's a comprehensive explanation that we can apply to uh, like a formula to every situation that someone's going through. What are you going to say to the, the parents of the, the five-year-old kid who was kidnapped, sexually assaulted, then killed? Did all that happen right on time? I don't think you want to say that. There's other things that are going on in this cosmos other than just God's will and God's timing. The whole pattern of Jesus' ministry speaks against it. He brings instant healing and justice to the people. So God's will and timing is a variable, but it can't be a comprehensive explanation or formula that we put into all unanswered prayers. Then there are those who say, well, no, no, God's will is to bring justice and to bring healing. And so if we don't see it, it's because we don't have faith or because we're not praying right or we're not praying enough or whatever. And as frustrating as the first explanation is, this one strikes me as even worse because this one blames the victim. Now you say, well, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have that muscular dystrophy. If you just had enough faith, then your kid wouldn't have been kidnapped. If you just have enough faith, if you're praying more, well, then your child wouldn't have died or you wouldn't be paralyzed and, and, and we blame the victim. Now, there is a little bit of biblical warrant for this because Jesus does say, according to your faith, be it unto you. All right, so, so faith is very important, though we have to talk about what faith means, and I'll do that a little bit later on, because I think sometimes people get kind of screwy ideas about what faith is. But that is an important principle, according to your faith be it unto you. But nowhere does the Bible treat that as some kind of formula that you can use to explain all unanswered prayers or all the evil in the world. Jesus never once, in all the people that he confronted who were, had infirmities and sickness and disease and uh, spiritual oppression and social oppression, never once does he blame them. Never once does he suggest that there's anything they did or didn't do that got them into that situation. He treats them all as victims in a spiritually oppressed world. His, his disciples try to blame people. Who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his father, those are your choices. And Jesus says, neither let God be glorified, and he heals the man. 
In fact, there's one time where you may recall Jesus in Mark 9, I think it is, he's praying for this guy who's blind. And, and uh, after the first prayer, this is where he spits in the ground, it's really weird, and puts it in his eyes and whatever. Um, and then he says, you know, can you see? And the guy says, well, I can kind of. Uh, but I see people, but they're walking around like tree stumps. They look like tree stumps. It's all blurry. And Jesus doesn't say, well, dude, you lack faith. What's the deal here? You, know, you just got to confess it. Confess that you can see. He doesn't do that. Nor does he say, well, I must lack faith. He's the son of God for crying out loud. No, he doesn't go there. He says, okay, well, let's keep praying. You see, he just kind of goes after it. I submit to you the whole book of Job is meant to refute this theology. That when bad things happen, it's because of something you did or didn't do. It's your lack of faith, your lack of love for God or whatever. The whole book of Job. Job's friends are always accusing Job of that very thing. And when God shows up, he's really ticked off at Job's friends. and says, knock it off. That's false theology. So while faith is an important variable in what comes to pass, it's not a formula. And while God's will and God's timing is a variable, it's not a formula. None of this explains why things happen the way they do, why prayer is or is not answered and when it's answered or how it's answered. There's a lot of other things that are going on. Now, what I want to do here is just share briefly three principles uh, that I think help explain, at least to me, take the edge off of the puzzlement of this passage a little bit and teach us a lot, I think, about some foundational things on prayer and faith uh, and, and what we're called to do. And this will be reviewed to some who have been around here for a while. It'll be totally new and maybe puzzling to those who are hearing this kind of stuff for the first time. Either way, I encourage you to attend to this. It's foundational, important stuff. First, I, I want to submit to you that prayer isn't magic, it's warfare. We need to see prayer not as a magical thing where we're twisting God's arm or if we say it just right, uh, it guarantees some outcome. Prayer, rather, is warfare. Uh, sometimes... I think often the if, when, and how of prayer being answered has got nothing to do with God's will and has got nothing to do with your faith. It has to do with other things. The classic text on this is Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel with faith prays. God's will is to answer the prayer. He dispatches the angel. But in the course of the angel bringing the message to Daniel, he's intercepted by the prince of Persia, which is a spiritual principality and power, and gets detained 21 days. And then this warfare breaks out in the heavenly realm. Now, if we weren't, if that wasn't revealed to us, there'd be some who were saying, well, it must have been God's timing. It wasn't for 21 days. And others would say, well, it must have just been Daniel's lack of faith, and then after 21 days, he got faith. They both would be wrong. It's got nothing to do with that. It has to do with interference in the angelic room, sometime, in the angelic realm. Sometimes the if, when, and how of prayer has got nothing to do with what God's will, what God wills, or your faith. The world's way more complex than that. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says that I willed to come to you, Thessalonians, and preach the gospel to you. But Satan hindered me. And there's every indication in this passage that God willed Paul to go to Thessalonica and that Paul had faith to go to Thessalonica. And I can't imagine for a minute that Paul didn't pray a lot about going to Thessalonica. But here is Satan interfering with God's will. Angelic beings, like human beings, have say-so. We're free agents and we have the capacity to work with or against God's purposes and that affects what comes to pass. And this is why we need to pray with persistence. So long as you're thinking about prayer as a magical thing, you'll never understand why we need to persist. It's just, uh, it's just out there, an, an unintelligible thing. But if you understand that when we pray, what we're doing is we're aligning our say-so, our will, with God's say-so, 
And, and that increases the influence of God's kingdom in this world. And as we do that, we are pushing against all forces, human and angelic, that resist his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're called to pray and what we're called to live is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But we got to know that to do this in this fallen, spiritually oppressed context is to be involved in spiritual warfare. Because you're going to push up against forces, human and angelic, that resist God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So it takes persistence. This is also why it takes numbers sometimes. The Bible puts a premium on groups of people praying together. Now that makes no sense if prayer is a magical thing. Because one person, person could do it as easy as a thousand. But if you understand that, it, that, that prayer is a labor of love, a non-magical labor of love of aligning our wills with God to increase the influence of the heavenly realm on the earthly realm. When you understand that, now you understand why there are, at times, there's more power in groups of people being united in prayer than there is with one individual. Not that individual prayer isn't powerful and effective. The Bible says it is. But there's a power in numbers and a power in persistence. It's just like in the natural realm. Sometimes jobs can be done quickly. Don't take any, any persistence at all. You're pushing a light rock up a hill, it's easy. You can do it alone. But you may be pushing a heavy rock up a hill where it's going to take you a long time, and you may not get there at all unless you have a number of people helping you. Uh, prayer operates on that same kind of principle. God's will is to bring justice into this world, and our job, therefore, is to, in prayer and by how we live, align our will with his will to bring justice on earth as it is in heaven. And God's will is to bring healing uh, to see the kingdom manifested here and now. So our job is to align our will with his in prayer and in how we live, to push against everything that is against justice and push against everything that is against healing to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And God's will is to bring restoration to the entire earth, to society and to all of creation. So our job as kingdom people is to align our will with his will and by how we live and by how we pray, push against everything in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm that resists restoration, that, that corrupts people and corrupts society and corrupts uh, creation. That's what prayer is all about. It's not magic. It's warfare. Like what Billy Graham says when he says, prayer isn't preparation for warfare. It is warfare. And that's why it takes persistence. And that's why sometimes it takes numbers of people praying. Secondly, just like prayer isn't magic, I submit to you that faith isn't magic. Faith, rather, is about vision. There's a, a common magical view that is out there that kind of says this. Uh, if you just believe it, if you make yourself certain, then it's going to happen. I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. If, you just, if, you just, if, if you're certain that it's going to happen, well, then it, it's going to have to happen. And there's a Christian version of this, and there's a pagan version of this. The pagan version is well expressed in the book The Secret, where it's a mind over matter thing. The law of the universe just is such that if you just believe it enough, it will happen to you. And the Christian version says, if you just believe it in Jesus' name, it will happen to you. Both, I submit, are a pagan view of faith. If you just are psychologically certain, it's going to happen. Faith is not a matter of psychological certainty. Here's what, here's what faith is rather about. I'll give you a real common illustration. A friend of mine had a phobia of flying. Uh, but she wanted to go with us over to Israel for a trip that we were taking, and, and, and she dreaded getting on this plane. The reason she dreaded getting on this plane, as with everybody who has got a, a phobia, is that she was in her mind envisioning the plane crashing. For whatever reasons, the plane triggered an internal vision in her imagination of the plane crashing, which evoked anxiety and fear, which prevented her from getting on planes. And so what she did with the help of some others is, is to reframe that and get a vision of the plane actually flying and not crashing. 
which then could minister some peace to her. Now, in getting on the plane, she couldn't be certain that the plane was going to fly. No one can be certain the plane's going to fly. A lot of things can happen to planes. You can die on planes. Sometimes people do. Things can go wrong. There can be terrorists there, a bomb there, mechanics maybe didn't do the job. And now we know that birds might fly into the engine and that might make the... Hopefully you're flying with that one pilot who knows how to land after birds hit your thing. But you see, you're not certain. But it's a rational faith because planes usually fly. That's pretty reasonable. And, and so there's not certainty, but it's reasonable to take this step to move towards something in the light of a vision that you have. She changed her faith about flying and therefore was able to get on the plane. We hit a bad patch at one point. She started to freak out. But then she just envisioned Jesus alongside of her saying, hey, it's okay, worst case scenario, you'll be with me forever, so just calm down here. And, uh, and she was able to ride the thing out with a relative state of peace. See, this is, I think, the biblical view of faith. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance, hypostasis, uh, the reality of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Faith is, is, among other things, holding as a substantial reality in your mind. You see it concretely, something that you hope for, a future that you anticipate, which brings about a conviction of things that you don't yet see. So to pray with faith is not to pray with a psychological certainty or to pretend that you're certain that you know how this thing's going to end. You don't know that. But to pray with faith means you hold in your mind a kingdom vision of what you believe is God's will for this situation, and you push towards it. That's praying with faith. To pray with faith for the person with muscular dystrophy is to envision them being healed. They're getting out of the wheelchair. Their arms got use, they got use of their arms again. They got use of their legs again, and, and they're being healed. And that's what you believe is God's will, and so you push towards that. To pray for the person whose legs don't work, you envision their legs working, getting out of the chair, and, and, and you're pulling down now the will of God into this situation and pushing back forces that try to keep this person uh, sick and, and disabled. And so it is with every prayer that we pray. And we don't know, we can't be certain, if we're honest human beings here, we can't be certain of the outcome of this, and it's not a lack of piety to say that. I know in some circles, like, oh, that's a negative confession. Don't even admit the possibility that it won't happen. I don't ever see that happening in, in, in the Bible. Jesus doesn't say that to the guy who got half healed when he prayed for him. No, faith is, is pushing towards uh, something you hope for. It's not yet seen. And uh, uh, you're praying with faith if, you, if, if you're passionately pushing in that direction. Whether you see the outcome of it or not, what we need to know is this. Whether you see the answer to the prayer or not, what you need to know is this. The Bible promises us, James 5.16, that, that our prayers are powerful and effective. And, and we can take that to the bank, to the spiritual bank, uh, that every prayer we pray leaves the world, leaves the person, leaves the situation more kingdomized than it was before we prayed. And maybe we won't see the difference that our pushing made until the end, uh, to the other side of eternity, but know with confidence that, that it's making a difference. But it does take faith to keep on persisting in this when you don't see the concrete evidence of it. It's interesting that Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, the end, end of the passage, I'm getting warm up here. I'm starting to preach. Hallelujah, it's getting hot. All right. It's interesting that he says at the end of this, he goes, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith uh, on this earth? Now, the whole point of the parable here has been talking about persistence. And so what we see here is that Jesus is equating faith with persistence. Faith is keeping on and keeping on even when you don't see 
the answer to the prayer. You keep pushing in that direction. And what Jesus is wondering here is this. When he returns, will he find people who still are pushing towards the kingdom, who still are envisioning the kingdom, who still are passionately aligning their will with God's will, and are pushing and pushing and pushing. Sometimes, praise God, seeing the answer to those prayers. Other times, not. But they don't base what they do based on evidence or pragmatism or utilitarianism. They base what they do on the command of God who tells us to always pray and not give up. That is faith. Now, here's an here's a important question. How long should you persist in a prayer? How, how long should you keep that up? Uh, until you die or until you, see, uh, until you see the answer to the prayer? Because if that's what you're supposed to do, if you never back off of a prayer... Once it's been put on your heart, well, then I don't know about you, but I think in about a week, my life would be consumed with prayer needs. There's so many that are out there. And if I never let go of any of them, well, then I'm going to be pushing on the stuff that I was started praying for 28 years ago. Isn't there a time where you got to accept a situation and, and let it go? The extreme case of this would be this uh, family that you may have read about, I guess, uh, 10 years ago or so, where their child tragically died after they had prayed for, you know, persistently for a long time that she'd be healed, she finally died. But then they were pray, praying that she'd be raised from the dead. And they kept praying that and praying that and praying that. And it was like six weeks later when the authorities finally uh, discovered that they were keeping this corpse in their house. At some point, don't you have to let go and accept the situation for what it is? And is that a lack of faith to do that? We've got to be okay asking these kind of questions. Uh, there was a person, a couple months ago in our congregation who asked me this question with regard to her marriage. Her husband had walked out on her and for a couple of years now was just sort of, you know, doing his own thing. Hadn't filed for divorce yet or anything, but was sleeping around and all sorts of stuff. And she felt that God put it on her heart to pray for her marriage, for him to repent and come back and restore this thing, which is an admirable, godly kingdom thing to do. But her question was, how long should I do this? You know, 20 years, 30 years, you know, at what point am I supposed to move on? And, and, and whatever. And so my answer to her, and this is my answer to the question to all of us who are listening to this, is I look at the scripture, the only thing I can come up with in terms of a definitive is this. You gotta listen to God. The Holy Spirit will lead you in terms of what you should pray for, how long you should pray for it. And as a general principle, here's, here's what I recommend. First of all, get people in your life who know you and have wisdom about your life and can help you answer this very question. Because everything in the kingdom is meant to be done out of community. Have other people who are wrestling with this issue with you so you're not doing it alone. Secondly, as long as God puts it on your heart, push. But be open to the possibility that there may come a time when he releases you from that push. It's a little bit like what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where Paul is praying for healing. Three times he's praying, God, deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. And then the Lord says, Paul, you know what? You can back off of that one. Usually that's what I want you to pray. That's the precedent that we find in, in, in Jesus' ministry. Our default should be to be pushing against sickness, disease, illness, and those sorts of things. But in this case, the Lord says, back off, because I got my own plan on this one. I can use you better in weakness uh, than, than, than by glorifying myself through healing you. So be open to the Holy Spirit telling you to back off. Usually we don't know why he tells us to push when we push and back off when we're supposed to back off. But see, he knows all the variables. He knows how best to invest our time and energy, just like with our money. We're going to be always seeking as well. God, how do you want me to spend your money? Uh, what should I invest in? How much do I keep? How much do I give? Where do I give? We're going to be seeking his direction on all of that. So also with prayer. You can't pray for everybody. You can't pray for everything. And you can't pray for everything your whole life. 
And so we need to be seeking God's will moment by moment on what he wants us to push towards and what he wants us to back off. And we've got to be okay with saying, you know what, right now I think we're supposed to just sort of leave this alone. For whatever reasons, he knows all the variables, uh, leave this one alone uh, and, uh, and, and move on to other things. Uh, so I told this lady, as long as God puts the restoration of your marriage on your heart, then push and have others, numbers of people pushing uh, to, to, to get God to change his heart and to back and fight against whatever spirits are causing his heart to be hard or whatever. But there may come a time when you get released. In fact, this actually happened with her when God says, okay, bury the corpse, the corpse of this marriage. Uh, he may know that now this person's heart has gotten to the point where there's no chance for him to be recovered. And so God's saying, okay, move on now. And with your life and in your prayers, you're directed towards other things. And God will all, all, always give us other things that we're to pray, pray for. So faith. Faith isn't magic. Faith is a vision that we're pressing towards. And as long as God tells us to push, we push. And then when God releases us from that pushing, we let it go. And just because he told you to push at one season of your life doesn't mean he's going to tell you to push on that same thing in the next season because God sees that things may have changed. We have to be listening to the Lord and following his leading as best we can on a moment-by-moment basis. And the third point, and in some ways the most important point, because this is the main point of this parable, is this. Persistence, you've got to know, we've got to believe. Persistence will always pay off in the end. When Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, then all justice will be done. When Jesus returns, we'll see the answer to those prayers. And so it's not a matter of really if they're going to be answered. It's a matter of when. When, when Jesus returns, then all justice, God's will will be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. It's interesting to me, and it helps me deal with this passage to know that the same Jesus who said that the God will answer and bring justice quickly is the same Jesus who promised his disciples that they were going to be persecuted and some of them are going to die. Which, if you do the math on that, means that whatever he meant by quickly, he, didn't, he wasn't guaranteeing them that their cry for justice would be done in their lifetime. Rather, it was no surprise to Jesus or to the disciples when they began to be persecuted. And they didn't see a contradiction there. And so if we do see a contradiction, as I tend to, then the problem's with me, not with them. I'm reading in something that, that is not there. Uh, when Jesus returns, then all justice will be done. That's the hope of the New Testament. Now, we're still called, right? We're called to manifest as much of the kingdom now as possible. This is what we do it is in our life, in our lifestyle, in our choices, and in how we pray, we're, we're to be first fruits of the kingdom, to manifest now what will be true later on, to be a, as much as possible a window into the future. Whatever will be true in heaven, we're to uh, manifest now. Whatever won't be in heaven, we're to get rid of our, in, in our life now. And, and we're to put on display the coming kingdom. That's God's advertisement. We're the living epistles known and read of all people. Uh, and, and we're the God's advertisement for the kingdom that is coming. And part of the kingdom that's coming is wholeness and justice and, 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 and deliverance. And so we want to be manifesting as much of, as possible of that now. And honestly, what frustrates me, if I'm honest with you, is that we don't see more of this now. I thank God for the way God changes lives, changes hearts, reforms lives, revolutionizes people, gets them radical, swims upstream in American culture. All of that is a miracle, and to God be the glory. 
But I also would still like to see some physical healings here. And praise God, we do on occasion see that. But I, I, I really think it's a New Testament principle that, that the power of God should be more on display than what, than what we see here. And, and that is frustrating to me in light of this passage. Now, we're not going to give up. The whole point of the passage is don't give up. Whether you see it or not, you don't give up. That's what faith is. You keep the vision. And so you keep pressing towards it. Because we're not called to march by pragmatism. We're called to march by faith, being faithful whether we see it or not. So if you see a healing, wonderful, keep on pushing. And if you don't see a healing, you keep on pushing. And if life is going well, keep on pushing. And if life's not going well, you keep on pushing. If you see evidence of the answer to your prayer, fine, keep on pushing. But if you don't see any evidence, you keep on pushing. Sometimes in this fallen, oppressed world, you go through dark stages where you don't see nothing, you don't feel nothing. It feels like God's a trillion miles away. You don't see any answer to any prayer. Doubt fills your mind. I've been through situations like that where I got to go back to the drawing board and I say, okay, why was it that I made this decision to be a Jesus follower in the first place? I go back to square one. Okay, it was a rational decision. I know why I got on this airplane, even though right now it looks like it's crashing. You know, and, and I'm going to stick with it. And sometimes you just got to go into plow mode. I do this sometimes where it's like... I, even though I don't, I'm not feeling any of the benefits of the kingdom, I'm, I just, you just plow ahead. You just keep on keeping on. Just keep plowing ahead. You're pushing. You're, it's persistence. Keep that vision. Here's where, here's where God's heading the, the world, and I'm pushing in that direction. And I found that over time, well, then you start to recover. This, you start to sense the spirit more, and you begin to see evidence of it, and the joy starts to return, and the peace starts to return. But you go through these dark, dark periods. Keep on pushing. You got the good finances. Great. Keep pushing. Don't back off. Finances are tanking. You keep on pushing. Good times push. Bad times push. Happy marriage push. Bad marriage push harder. You just keep on persisting. But see, the promise of God is this. While we seek to manifest as much of the kingdom of God in our midst, in our lives individually, in our small groups, in our large gatherings on the weekends, while we push to manifest as much as possible now, our faith can't depend on that, can't hang on that. It hangs in the promise of God that when he returns, if we have faith when he returns, it will all be worth it. When he returns, you're not going to see people dying of debilitating diseases where the natural use of their body slowly leaves them. And when he returns, we're not going to see kids dying of genetic deformities and hospitals. And when Jesus returns, we're not going to see any more people dying of cancer or leukemia or mudslides or, or vicious wars or, or murders or rapes or, or malaria or any other kind of disease. When Jesus returns, praise God, then the kingdom will be here. Every square inch of the cosmos will be defined by the love of God. And the whole creation will manifest the benevolence of God and the beauty of God and the glory of God. When he returns, there'll be justice throughout the whole world. And all evil and all sin and all principalities and powers will be eradicated. And the creation will be freed. And there'll be no more groaning and no more death. Praise God. I look forward to that day, frankly. I find this universe as it is right now to be irritating. And I'm the lucky one here, you know. Ah, it's, just, it's just so the hopelessness all around. But he's coming. He's coming. And so, folks, just keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. As, as the things play themselves out, don't blame God. Uh, try not to blame God. Get mad at the universe. Get, get mad at the, it's all right to get mad at the universe because right now it really does stink. Uh, and it's not all reflecting of God's will. Try not to get mad at God, though if you do be honest with it, if that's where you're at, be there. He can handle it. But, but it really is not God's fault. Don't blame yourself. Don't blame others. Just press on. Just keep on pressing on. When he tells you to, he gives you a burden, you press. When he releases you, be released. And then press on something else. 
But keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. He is returning. Keep on pushing. He's coming back. He will not leave us as orphans. He says he, 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 he's coming back. So just keep on pushing. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward here. And if you're here and have any need that you would like to have pushed on, I encourage you to come forward and get a vision of healing or whatever it is that you uh, need to have uh, addressed. Let me close with this prayer. Father, I pray for any person here who has not surrendered their life to you, that they would do it right here and right now. Come forward and just give their life to you. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here, you would give us uh, a, a vision. Empower us with your spirit to hold fast to the vision of the kingdom in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods, uh, in every area, Lord God, of this world. And, and to push on all the things you call us to push on. Help us not be discouraged, but rather to march faithfully even when we don't see the results and to praise you when we do see the results. Help us to be faithful kingdom people. We live according to your will, to bring about your will on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the kingdom people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.